whether you have much faith or little, have tried to follow or are afraid you've failed. Come because it is his will that those who want to meet him might meet him here. Welcome to From the Narthex, a podcast about faith, life, and Anglicanism. This is your host, Ryan. And today on the pod, we have joining us all the way from Cambridge in the United Kingdom, uh, Christy Borthwick. Welcome to the pod, Christy. Thank you. So I met Christy um, about a month ago now. We were we were both on a panel together at the Society for the Study of Theology, which is kind of the British, uh, I guess, theological academy, I suppose. Um, and she was doing this really great work on Augustine, and uh, it was just a lovely time. And then I found out that, like myself, Christy is moving towards ordination. So. We're going to be starting a few weeks series here on folks that are really close to ordination. And so we've started off with Kirsty here. Uh, she is about to be ordained into the Church of England as a deacon. And I suppose we'll start off this interview like we start pretty much all of our interviews by asking, what does faith mean to you? Good question. Um, it sounds really cheesy, but faith means adventure. Um, when I did my discernment paperwork, that was written all over it. But like, yeah, there's the there's a phrase in the Lord of the Rings, which is like one of my favorite books. That if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. And that's kind of what faith has been like, um, taking me to places that I couldn't have predicted, um, being challenging at times, but had kind of real high points at the same time. Um, yeah, and kind of helped me to experience. Uh, different people, the world in different ways. Um, yeah, so like fun and eye-opening and just adventure from start to finish, I think is the best way to describe it. Adventure, That's, that sounds great. I, I do love that line uh, from The Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, I spent, I, as I think like most kids who grew up in the church, you, you we all kind of like spend that bit of time in high school where you just get really obsessive about what are doing, especially yeah. people our generation, I think. Yeah, it's great sermon fodder now as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, you're studying at Cambridge right now. And um, have you been Church of England all of your life? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's baptized into the Church of England kind of six months old, um, have always, pretty much always been to a kind of Church of England church or some um, I spent a year in Scotland um, where I didn't dabble in the Episcopal church. I tried some other kind of traditions at the same time as being there. Um, yeah, but have been kind of very much formed in the Church of England, but especially with friends in other traditions. So um, spent kind of a lot of time in kind of Pentecostal churches, the Methodist church, um some reformed churches just kind of through friendships as well um but yeah kind of church of england born and bred i suppose great uh and we were chatting just before we hit record here that uh london is kind of home for you yeah yep. what part of london uh are you from and, and what was the what was the name of your parish uh if you don't mind sharing um so i grew up in croydon which is in the south um, end of london um in a parish called st paul's in a place called Thornton heath um, it's a wonderful church. It's chaotic. I won't pretend otherwise. Everything about it is chaotic, but it's family. Um, and yeah, the, the people there are the people that have been praying for me consistently for the last 30 years. So That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, there's something about going home. I, <laughs> due to the pandemic, I haven't been able to go home for 
uh, quite a long yeah. time, but kind of going home and seeing, I don't know, the saints that taught you Bible stories uh, when you're little and kind of they, they ask how they can pray for you again. It's just it's such a, I don't know, I feel like it's like a big warm hug coming home to that. Uh, so you mentioned that you've kind of like been formed also by these friendships with um, with friends in other churches outside of the Church of England. Um, can you speak a little bit about that journey for you? Because I think you've done kind of taken some steps into more kind of formal ecumenical work as well through that, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like I said, kind of grew up with friends who were Christians, but in very different ways to me. Um, so I've always found kind of the differences in Christian faith, how it's expressed in different ways, really fascinating. Um, and then uh, I guess the kind of interest in ecumenism started when I was doing an undergraduate degree. And I went to the Holy Land with a couple of Roman Catholic monks on the faculty trip. Um, and I, I hadn't been in a particularly sacramental church at that point. I was in quite a charismatic evangelical church. And then I was suddenly met with the Eucharist. And I was like, I want to be there every day when they're celebrating. And yet was kind of struck by the fact that I couldn't receive and like spent a lot of time kind of processing that, which I guess was a journey towards kind of a more kind of Catholic expression of Anglican faith, where I am now. Um, but it sparked something about kind of ecumenism in a kind of more focused way for me. Um, and then actually it's, it's since I've been in Cambridge that the opportunity is to get more involved in that kind of happens. So um, I went on a visit with a group from the Church of England to the Russian Orthodox churches in uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg a couple of years ago, which was incredible, like absolutely incredible, uh, like an adventure is <laughs> probably the best way of describing that. Um, and then uh, to kind of follow up on that, I did a five month placement this year at the Ecumenical Institute in Bosse, which is just outside Geneva in Switzerland, uh, which is run by the World Council of Churches. So an opportunity to engage with people from kind of across the globe, different church traditions, um, doing kind of focused ecumenical study. Um, and I've caught the bug, so tell about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, you said that you your background is more kind of in the evangelical and charismatic end of the Church of England. Can you can you describe a little bit more what that's like? Because I think um, the Anglican Church of Canada, um, in my experience of it, doesn't quite have the extreme range that I experienced when I was living in the UK. There are kind of traces of the different kinds of churchmanship, but particularly in my diocese and in the Diocese of Rupertsland, um, it feel there's a kind of general kind of just like Anglican feel to it so I was very surprised when I went to a church like Gas Street in Birmingham which is a, a holy trinity uh plant right uh that it was like oh this is back to my pre-Anglican time so can, can you just like explain a little bit for kind of North American listeners what what charismatic Anglicanism looks like over there yeah good question um so it's it's more a kind of evangelical emphasis rather than a charismatic emphasis. So charismatic worship has kind of seeped its way into an evangelical kind of understanding of Anglican faith. Um, so you get um, a number of churches where kind of the charismatic gifts are really important. So the church that I was at when I was an undergrad, which was uh, St. Aldate's in Oxford, um, which has ended up passing on clergy to um, Gastry and Birmingham. Um, like praying in tongues was a thing and prophecy um and gifts of healing and kind of that sort of thing kind of incorporated into worship um, and worship is very much kind of uh, scripturally focused um kind of expository sermons and lots of singing 
Um, whereas where I am now is kind of incense and bells and <laughs> vestments and lace. So like the Church of England's breadth is staggering actually. Um, and mostly we get along, but there are, there are obviously tensions between kind of different groups at the same time. Right, now um, there seems to be uh, in the Church of England a certain pipeline with, from the charismatic end to the kind of the Catholic end. Um, what is the attraction? Because it, at first glance, it seems like kind of diametrically opposed. And yet a lot of folks seem to have no trouble at all moving between the two. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think that is? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think for a lot of people and for me as well, the kind of initial shift is to do with how liberal or conservative you see yourself. Um, so I was far too liberal for the kind of conservative evangelical churches I was in. I was really attracted to the charismatic worship but kind of much more liberal in terms of values, um, which meant there was just a kind of disconnect that meant I felt more at home in the liberal Catholic end of the church. Um, But at the same time, I think theologically, there's a link. Like, you know, we make a big thing in the Eucharistic prayers about the epiclesis, so the coming down of the spirit in the prayer. Now I think of that in kind of charismatic terms, and there'll be people on the Catholic end of the church who think that's crazy, but actually there's quite a few of us who can see kind of the emphasis on the spirit in the Catholic liturgy as much as in the kind of, um, free form style of worship that's more common in charismatic churches. Um, that's fascinating. I think yeah. that, so I think that's not necessarily the reason people move, but I think that ends up coming through. Do you find any, like, I don't know, um, any kind of link between kind of, I think both ends of the spectrum kind of uh, really capture a certain embodiedness of our worship. Yeah. Like charismatics are, are pretty free with their bodies in worship. Yeah. Uh, in a way that like a more traditional evangelical, like I was kind of raised more just kind of Bible believing evangelical yeah. and like clapping was even a little bit too far sometimes, right? Uh, whereas, you know, I, I I think bowing bowing and kneeling and stuff is not that much different than maybe liturgical dance or whatever. Yeah, like, you know, like I make a comparison between putting a hand in the air in worship and crossing myself. It's the same, in some ways it's the same thing. Um, actually, they like it was that sort of thing that embodied worship that I was really keen to carry with me um, when I recognized my theology was moving more Catholic. In the right. Yeah. Now, um, has the, the move to a kind of a more kind of Catholic theology helped in your ecumenical work? Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, in the... Um, there's kind of strong links between the Anglo-Catholic end of the Church of England and the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox churches. So it opens up really interesting conversation there. Um, I'm in a slightly odd position in those conversations, being a woman, being prepared to be ordained. Um, so I kind of embody the difference in a slightly different way to my male colleagues. Um, it causes some issues on uh, ecumenism with Arab Protestant churches. So there's been some real trouble trying to um, develop visible unity with the Methodist church in the UK, for instance, um, because of the question of um, the episcopacy and attachment to bishops. Um, when if you're holding a very Catholic kind of doctrine within the Anglican church, that's not up for debate. And so where that leaves conversations with the Methodist church is, is more complicated. Um, so in many ways it's helpful, but in other ways it's unhelpful. What it ends up doing more than anything is putting us right in the middle. Um, when I got to Switzerland, they were like, oh, an Anglican, you can be the mediator. Um, there's a sense in which we do kind of mediate between different groups, um, which means we're no one's friend, but everyone's friend at the same time. 
Right, right, yeah. You can kind of shake, you can shake hands with both hands. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in addition to preparing for, for ordination, you were also um, quite an accomplished theologian. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, your doctoral work and what that's about? Sure, it's weird to be called an accomplished theologian, thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm looking essentially at the doctrine of prayer, what happens when we pray. Um, and particularly what happens when we pray, if we're praying to a God who is Trinity. So what does the spirit do when we pray? Um, what is Jesus praying in the gospels? What's that got to do with our prayer? Um, I use Augustine of Hippo to kind of explore these things. Um, he's got this doctrine called the totus Christus, which is the idea that the church, every member of the church is kind of bound up in the, um, the entity of Christ. So when Christ prays, we're praying in him and through his voice and yeah, so it's exploring those kind of ideas. Um, yeah, and it's been great fun. It's made me realize I need to pray more, but it's made me excited about praying. So excellent prep, uh, preparation for ordination. That's, yeah, that one of the things uh, that I think, well, I think clergy are bound by canon to create yeah. a daily office, correct? Yeah. Uh, has, has kind of this academic study helped you uh, lean more into the daily office? Definitely, yeah, and especially the prayer, uh, the psalms as we pray those in the daily office. So Augustine looks at the psalms and how they are our prayers in Pope particularly. Um, so I've kind of fallen in love with the psalms in a new way. Um, and kind of, you, you know how psalms end up being very kind of emotive and you're either in that place or you're not in that place. It's been really helpful to realise that I'm praying with the whole church. So, you know, if I'm not feeling particularly happy and it's a joyful psalm, actually I'm praying with those who are joyful or I'm playing with those who are depressed when I'm happier. And like, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of, it means the daily offices are me praying with the whole church in a way that they weren't before I did a PhD. So um, it makes it more exciting. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I think it was kind of Peter Damien, I think in the Middle Ages, who kind of like definitively declared that we never pray alone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, we always pray with the whole church. Uh, I must admit that I struggle with the Psalms. I, I see all these people who have fallen in love with the Psalms and I want that for myself. But um, every time I get to that part, I just like, I don't know what's going on here. I, I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad that it can happen. The diversity of scripture, right? <laughs> like, the diversity of scripture. Like, the Psalms are my jam. I can't, like, I can't click with the prophets. So, you know. Well, fair enough. Maybe you can teach me to love the Psalms more. I love the prophets. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, so, all right. So you are a young woman approaching ordination in the Catholic end of the church. And you've already alluded to the fact that that can be sometimes controversial. Um, I don't think uh, in Canada it's as controversial anymore to be a, a female priest. Um, but just kind of, I don't know, share with us a bit of that journey for yourself. When did you first kind of um, understand a calling to ministry? And was there any kind of work you had to kind of like go through to accept that as a woman? Or was that already something that was kind of affirmed for you by the church? Yeah, so I, so I went off and did theology as an undergraduate and people joked that I'd become a teacher or a vicar. And I was adamant neither was gonna happen. And my first job as a graduate was a school chaplain. So I was teaching and doing ministry at the same time. And it was while there that I sensed some sort of call to ministry. I didn't really know what that looked like, um, but I knew there was something happening there. 
Um, so in trademark fashion, I ran away. I got as far as Scotland. Um, but I thought, you know, there's no church in Scotland. I'll go there. Um, <laughs> kind of, um, but actually, while there, um, got to know the chaplain really well, who was kind of asking questions about how he could support people discerning ministries. So, like, God caught me just as I was trying to flee, a bit like Jonah. Um, and from there, kind of uh, spent time purposely discerning what that ministry might look like. Um, and then ended up at St Albans Cathedral for a couple of years, um, kind of practicing ministry as a pastoral assistant, um, which is where it became clear. I think it was the priesthood that I was called to kind of be the attention to the sacraments um, and the kind of uh, teaching side of it and the kind of guiding people in prayer was all something that I felt particularly kind of drawn to. Um, in terms of women's ministry, it's never it's never really been an issue for me. I kind of it, like never been a barrier for me particularly um but it's been interesting because there's been a few people who support me on the journey who are not in favor of or can't affirm women's ministry um and it's just been really interesting to kind of do the discernment with people the whole time for whom my ministry has been kind of challenging um which i don't know kind of sparked the kind of ecumenical stuff but internally i guess within the church and made me really kind of concerned about sticking together um, which is something the Church of England is really struggling with over kind of questions in ministries. So yeah. So if they, so you said you've had some mentors who kind of officially are against women in ministry yeah. and yet have been supporting you in yeah. this process. Yeah. Um, that's that's fascinating. Uh, have have they kind of explored that tension with you at all, or like? Not not explicitly. Um, no. But we, we like it's always been kind of we've always mentioned it. This is the dividing point between us, um, and it's been interesting because they've been from either like there's one of them who is very conservative evangelical, and I can think of one who's traditionalist Catholic. So it's kind of disagreement on ministry coming from two opposite ends of the spectrum at the same time. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. It just makes me. It just it's made me more and more keen to kind of uh, stick together despite that difference, and it's complex and it's messy and people get hurt but actually kind of sticking together through that is kind of that's like having those mentors has made me really kind of committed to that that's really cool um yeah i think that's it it, it is difficult and it's something i think a lot of us aren't willing to do uh it's so much easier to kind of retreat into your into your tribe right or into your sect uh and to kind of continue to engage with those who can we deeply disagree with is uh well kudos um so you're on how 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 long uh is the ordination process um for you like kind of how how long have you been kind of officially in the the process so for me it's been quite long um so the kind of the conversations and the um interviews and the kind of assessment before actually starting training took about two years which is kind of typical um, I've spent four years in college, which is longer than most, just because I'm doing the PhD and it's given me that little, little wiggle room to <laughs> supposedly get them both done, but the PhD is <laughs> pushing its luck a little bit on that front. Um, so most people do two or three years, and often that's dependent on age. So if you're slightly older, you end up doing slightly less time in college. Um, and then I'm ordained deacon this summer, um, and I start my curacy, which is a three-year post and is still kind of in training. Um, and in the second year of that, I'm ordained a priest. Um, and then after the kind of, so the kind of, the formal process is about seven to eight years of training, either kind of in college or on the job. Great. Now, um, 
being on kind of the edge of um, of ordination and kind of taking that step into kind of a professional vocation now, um, what are what are kind of some of your hopes and, and fears? Like, do you, you've you've been trained as a theologian, mm -hmm. so um, do you have any interest in in teaching alongside, or is that, or are you just hoping to have this as an extra tool in the parish? Yeah, I'd love to teach. I'd really love to teach, and I'd love to write. Um, maybe a bit of a break with the writing once the PhD is done, just to rest. But teaching, <laughs> especially, and the the thing I'm, I guess, the thing I'm really trying to discern is what that teaching looks like and where it happens. Whether that's something that can happen in a parish, or whether it's a calling emerging to kind of, I don't know, teaching other people in training or kind of chaplaincy. Um, that I'm still very unsure of, but kind of a commitment to teaching is definitely something I'm really keen on um I was there's a way of kind of nominating people in the Church of England such that they're a potential theological educator so I kind of I've got that kind of label following me around a little bit which hopefully will open kind of opportunities oh, okay how does that how does that work does, does that like um kind of institutionally open a lot of doors for you or it's it's mostly to enable people to do research degrees so you have to have this label to do a research degree and it opens up a little bit of funding sometimes um and it's there's a sense in which it kind of doesn't mean anything like the church has got this label it's not quite sure what to do with it um, but there's a few of us in the church of england at the moment actually who are trying to kind of say okay this label exists what can we do in terms of uh, collegiality and kind of support of each other and mentorship and that kind of thing um so hopefully it's something that will mean more in the years to come <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding especially as you know we see really prominent uh, theology departments uh, yeah. being shuttered and you know, the, the, the demand of doing theology is not going to go away, even if the institutions that used to support it can't afford to do so anymore. So and yeah. look, at the, look at the changes in the world at the moment. We need theology. Like we need yeah. people to engage with them theologically. So. Absolutely. Yeah, the, I think the pandemic in particular has raised a lot of you know, really big questions for people again, and we've all been left alone with our thoughts to struggle with them. So yeah. Um, yeah, so going into a curacy, uh, what are your kind of, what are some of your your worries about that? Or do you have any, do you feel fairly fairly confident? Um, one thing that will be strange is living in a house on my own, which I haven't done in a while. I've been at college or, you know, during the pandemic, I was at my parents and kind of crammed into a house. Um, so it's gonna be a bit weird kind of transitioning to just the new way of living. Um, I'm going to get a dog. That's definitely going to help. But I need a car before I can get a dog. So that's a longer term plan. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited to do ministry with people. Like college is great, but it's a kind of it's cloistered in a way. You're kind of called out of the world slightly. And I'm really looking forward to just being stuck back in. And that's going to present challenges. You know, I'll be taking funerals and burying people for the first time. And there's kind of trepidation around that. Um, at the same time really excited um i've got my first baptism in the diary which is really exciting um but i've got to make sure i don't drop the baby so yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, all sorts of things um but that's yeah great. just looking forward to it more than anything that's great so so did you have kind of parish placements at all along with with this did you get some hands-on experience doing any of this stuff bits some of that has been affected by the pandemic so i should have been in manchester for a few months this year doing a kind of full-time parish placement which had to be cancelled um so not as much as i'd have liked we have a um, an attachment every or placement every sunday um, and we usually do something midweek with that as well um so this year i've been in two village churches just outside of cambridge and it's wonderful 
Um, the last three years I was in a college chaplaincy, um, which in many ways isn't parish experience, but actually because the kind of the student body is turning over so often, there's often a lot that needs doing and a lot of opportunity to kind of get stuck in. Um, so weirdly, whilst it's not been a parish setting, it's actually been really good for preparation for kind of taking things as they come, like happens in a parish. Yeah, and, and I imagine if you do kind of pursue a, a, a more university vocation, like a teaching vocation, having that chaplaincy experience will be invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. dealing with dealing with young people and their uh, kind of anxieties of becoming yeah. adults. Uh, do you know where your curacy will be yet, or is that to be determined yet? Yep, yep. So I'm going to All Saints Church, which is in Leighton Buzzard, um, which is in the Diocese of St Albans. So be ordained in St Albans Cathedral in a in 30 days time it's getting soon um and um yeah we'll then spend three years in Leighton Buzzard um, and it's kind of a big team so there's a ma the main church all saints is where I'm kind of primarily based but there's kind of lots of else, other things going on um forest church messy mass kind of work on a housing estate village ministry kind of mix of everything oh cool and how big how big of a clergy team do they have there Oh, good question. I should know the answer to this already off the top of my head. I think it's five um, clergy who are kind of full time. We've got a couple of retired clergy around um, and quite a big lay ministry team as well, which is exciting. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So there's there's a fair bit of like vibrancy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it that's doesn't really help. It, you know, it helps that the church is 13th century and stunning. So oh, yeah. lots of baptisms, <laughs> lots of weddings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's something that uh, here in the Anglican Church of Canada, we have just no connection to. Like there's uh, there's a city, just a province over from, from mine called Regina. It's named after the queen. Uh, and the oldest building in there is from like the earliest, like the, the early 20th century. Yeah. And it was essentially a supply um a, a supply hut for the the police and now they've converted into a little chapel just because it has this distinction of being the oldest structure in the city so yeah we are a very young country with not very old churches but um i can appreciate the, the sense of, a running joke for tourists in oxford and cambridge it's like oh this building is older than our country <laughs> it's kind of this running thing but yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so you've studied at both oxford and cambridge yeah. um what's that been like Great. I mean, a privilege, an absolute privilege. It's been wonderful. Um, yeah, and kind of it opens up opportunities. I got to work with some brilliant theologians, um, which has been, yeah, fantastic. Um, but also, I've been really lucky. So, Oxford and Cambridge work on kind of college systems. So you get put in a college, which is a smaller community. Um, and I've been really lucky to just be in really grounded communities both times. So kind of the stereotype is it's, you know, posh people from the posh schools, you know, Eton and Harrow and all those sorts of places. And actually all my friends are just like me and went to normal schools and kind of had a normal upbringing. And um, yeah, so I've kind of, I've got to do the dressing up and pretending I'm a Harry Potter and kind of all that side of things, but it's been kind of grounding at the same time. So it's been great. <laughs> That's great. And who's, who's your supervisor at, uh, like, who's your doctoral supervisor? Um, so he's not actually in Cambridge anymore. He's in back in the US. Uh, but Ian McFarland, and Professor Oh, Ian yeah, 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 yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah. His feedback is incredible. So in terms of supervision, I'd, yeah, it's been a gift. That's great. Um, and it's it's great that he was able to kind of uh, continue supervising yeah. you after moving, because that doesn't always happen. Can yeah, absolutely. Derail projects. <laughs> 
Yeah. So besides, uh, I guess we're kind of coming to the end now of, of our chat, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity um, to plug anything that you're working on uh, right now. Do you have anything in the works that you'd like people to know about? Good question. Um, not really. All, the one thing I will plug is if you're listening, say a prayer for the older nation. I'd really appreciate that. That's kind of the main thing happening in my life right now. Um, so kind of prayer for those of us being ordained uh, this year, kind of in the Church of England, but more broadly. I'd really appreciate that. Um, there, there's, not, there's nothing particularly exciting in terms of writing coming out at the moment. So that's a good way. To, uh, yeah, I think we're recording this right in the midst of uh, Ember Days, right? So uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's the, that time. If, if you observe the Ember Days, it's the, the time to pray for those who are soon to be ordained. So we will keep you in your prayers, our prayers for sure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kirsty. Um, this has been a real treat to, to chat, and I hope we can uh, stay in touch over the years. And I look look forward to reading your finished dissertation at some point, uh, and and hopefully learning to love the Psalms a bit more. Too. It's been really brilliant. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a review and rating on iTunes and tell your friends.